Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. It's been 10 years since the collapse of Lehman Brothers. We're going to take a retrospective look on what we've learned over the last decade. But first, if you're loving what you're hearing on the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, go into iTunes, send a review. I'd love to get your feedback. Today, we look at why Lehman Brothers failed and some of the rampant practices in the banking industry at that time. We're definitely better off today, but there's still a way to go. If I could boil down the failure of Lehman Brothers to one term, it would be simply counterparty risk. So what is counterparty risk? That's when an asset on one balance sheet appears as a liability on the next balance sheet. And if that liability goes toxic, then that asset isn't really an asset anymore, and it can set off a domino effect chain reaction of failure across multiple companies. It's pretty well understood that the financial crisis started in the U.S. Despite this, 24 nations were ultimately caught up in the crisis that wasn't of their making. Well, why is this? Again, counterparty risk. Let's take a deeper look at Lehman Brothers. Why did they actually fail? Most people know that they did fail, but they don't really know why. Lehman Brothers was first and foremost a brokerage house. They were not a bank, but they wanted to be. So they went and opened a bank in the Bahamas. Bahamas doesn't have a lot of depositors, so the deposits in the bank were LIBOR. LIBOR stands for London Interbank Overnight Rate. These are the overnight deposits the bank make to earn interest on funds that are in transit. If I were to wire funds from Washington to London, those funds might take a day or two to be accepted by the receiving bank. If that happens, the receiving bank will dump a bunch of money into a LIBOR account and earn interest overnight while that money is in flight. So Lehman Brothers took those daily deposits that have a very short lifespan and loaned money against those deposits to companies buying commercial real estate across the U.S. and elsewhere. If you remember back to the financial crisis in 2008, there was a period of time of a few weeks when the banks stopped trusting each other and refused to extend credit to each other. And when that happened, LIBOR deposits dried up and Lehman Brothers became technically insolvent overnight. They had loans on their books that were not backed up by any deposits and they didn't have the capital to inject to back up the deposits when they were demanded. Moreover, some of the loans had started to go bad, so they didn't have the capital to repay the depositors who were demanding repayment only 24 hours later. Lehman Brothers took the risk that there would be a fresh batch of deposits every 24 hours to cover the previous day's withdrawals. I know I'm oversimplifying the process slightly, but that's the essence of why they failed. They used short-term money to cover long-term loans, and they assumed the deposits would always be there. That's the very definition of counterparty risk. At that time, there were other risky practices across the banking industry. Banks would sell loans to unregulated affiliated companies in order to remove the loans from the bank's balance sheet. That made it look like the bank had lower leverage than it had in reality. Today, the regulators require all of those entities to be consolidated. The banking regulators have instituted stress tests designed to see if a bank has sufficient capital reserves to handle a portion of their loan portfolio going bad. That's an improvement over the situation 10 years ago, but that still doesn't cover the risk that simply can't be known with counterparty risk. Today, banks in Europe are still poorly capitalized compared with U.S. banks. If you go to the European Central Bank website, they publish a list of major European banks, and they list the capital reserves for each bank. It's not a pretty picture. The numbers are all over the place. Let's look at one problem area, and let's be clear, this is not the only problem in Europe. We know that Turkey has borrowed heavily since President Erdogan took office in 2003. When he took office, there were 50 shopping malls in Turkey. Today, there's over 400. Population has continued to grow, and the 80 million people who live in Turkey have generally absorbed about half a million new units of construction 
per year over the last several years. But last year alone, builders completed a million and a half new homes. And today, there's over two million completed homes in the market. That represents about four years of inventory for new homes. Many of the loans written to finance that construction were written with European banks and denominated in lira, which has fallen in value by 40% since the beginning of the year. Those banks are facing a 40% haircut in the value of those loans, assuming that they even perform. If a percentage of those go bad, certainly some of them will, the impact is even greater. Let's just do some simple math. We're talking 2 million homes. And no surprise that the construction industry has ground to a halt in Turkey. The millions of people who work in that sector of the economy are at risk of being out of work. Let's assume that each of those homes cost $100,000 to build. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's a simple number, but it illustrates the point. The cost of those 2 million homes is $200 billion, assuming they cost $100,000 each to build. If the developers who are sitting on those homes have financial trouble, a significant portion of those $200 billion could be at risk. That's a real impact to the European banking system. Clearly, that's not the only problem in Turkey. Assessing the domino effect across the global financial system is incredibly difficult to predict because it's too complex a web of assets and liabilities for any one person to ever fully comprehend. The lessons of history are there to be repeated. Pay close attention to counterparty risk. And if you've ever personally experienced financial difficulty, I would bet that some form of counterparty risk was a factor. In the meantime, as you're thinking about that, have an awesome day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.